It's good to be with you this morning if it's your first time with us today. My name is Landon and I am thankful to be one of the team members here with Restoration Church. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Exodus chapter 2. Uh, we'll be spending our, our time in the scriptures in Exodus this morning. Before that, just a, a couple quick announcements. Uh, number one, today is what we call Social Sunday. And I was thinking during the first gathering about how after the first gathering, we'd have a second gathering, and after the second gathering, we'd now have a third gathering. And today, after the third gathering, we have Welcome Lunch, which I'll tell you about in a minute. And I was processing, today's going to be not a short day. But I was sitting there, honestly, just overwhelmed with thankfulness as I looked at people. And I don't, I don't know all of you, though I'm thankful to be worshiping alongside of you today, but I can look out and see uh, certain people that I've now journeyed with through life, through some really deeply challenging moments, and then we've had moments to celebrate together. And part of God's plan for us certainly is Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and that he is always there for us, and we are never alone because he's there. But a significant part of his plan is that we have one another as the church. And to ignore that or to think that we are enough, just us and God, is actually to argue with Jesus himself. And so the church for us is a people who and not a place where. It's us together, united in our following of Jesus. I say all of that to say this. If you don't have those people, we've placed this dumb little thing called Social Sunday. It's simply an encouragement for you to share a meal with someone you've never shared a meal with so that you have this gateway to step into relationships. We're made for them and we need them. We, we want to follow Jesus and part of the model that he's given us is that something really special happens when we share a meal with someone else. Something deeply relational occurs. And so today is that day. If today does not work for you uh, to, to do Social Sunday and grab a meal with someone you've never grabbed a meal with, then I encourage you just to schedule it today. It doesn't have to be today, but just get it on the calendar because we need each other. This is one of the ways we can step into having the relationships God designed for us to have. That brings up the, the second thing, which is our welcome lunch. We do this about every six weeks. If you're new with us, our welcome lunch is just the perfect way to really to get to know who we are as a church family. So it'll be after the next gathering, our third. Lunch will start at about 1245. We'll feed you. And then as you're eating, I'll, I'll share just a little bit about our story and vision, where we're going as a church, and really why we do the things we do, what our values are, and why we're excited about how the, uh, the Spirit is leading this very imperfect and broken group of people that we are into to beautiful moments together. And so we'd love to share that with you. You'll be able to meet some of the staff and elders and then ask any questions you have today. No need to RSVP, about 1245 uh, in the room behind the glass garage door. You'll go in uh, via the outdoors over here. Lastly, six weeks of summer is coming up. This started due to bad circumstances called a pandemic. We were outside because we kind of needed to be. Then we realized we actually really liked it. Not year round like we did that year. It got kind of cold and it also got hot. But getting to choose to be in God's just beauty of creation and in the outdoors is really fun for about six weeks out of the year. Part of the reason that we're continuing it, though, is this. In the, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes that God has given a portion, a measure of faith, 
to different people. Different people have different measures of faith, and different people have different levels and different types of gifting. I have uh, a few very selective gifts that are mediocre. Other people have a whole host of gifts that are really impressive. One of the gifts that I do not have is evangelism, and I'm actually serious about this. People ask about that, and that's not a gift that God has given me to be an evangelist. I look at Ron, and he's really good at that. I have plenty of other friends, not from stage, that are evangelists and allow people, open doors, and it's incredible. I had one of my mentors joke. He's also a pastor, and he said, I can get up and give the most incredible sermon you've ever heard, and it makes total sense, and it's compelling, and nobody gets saved. And then he was talking about his other friend. He gets up, he says, and he doesn't say anything that makes any sense at all, and half the world gets saved. And the whole concept there is it's genuinely a gift. That's how God operates. He gives some of us to be leaders and apostles, starters of things, prophets, teachers, evangelists. And so all of that to say, six weeks of summer is probably the only thing each year we do really intentionally now for you and for us to invite people. There's something just different and less scary to maybe old church history, past wounds, and experiences when we're just outside. So we highly encourage you to embrace these six weeks. We're trying to figure out the timing for it. It says nine-ish because I like to change my mind, A, and B, because we're trying to make it as early as possible so it's not hot while also being good neighbors in this uh, neighborhood because we don't want to be too loud too early. So very soon we'll have the exact time. Mark those dates. The first one, we're going to have a big party after. We'll either have food trucks or we'll, we'll smoke some meats and just have everyone hang out in a bounce house and it'll be great. And then the last one, July 3rd, I think we'll do the food truck thing. And we just want you to invite people and for us to be together as a church family. In the back corner of the room, if you want to sign up to serve for some or all of those six weeks, it is a lot of work. We turn our whole parking lot into a park of sorts, if we can, to the the best of our ability, and that takes a lot of hands and work and effort. And so if you'd like to help us out with that, we would appreciate it, and we look forward to those six weeks. I might have forgot something, but Jeremy will fix it later. Let's get into Exodus chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 23. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, and we read this. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. And their cry for help ascended to God because of the difficult labor. Hear this verse, it's so important. So God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites, and he took notice. There's four verbs here, four sections that are really, really good news. They were true then. God heard his people in hardship in Egypt. And maybe you need to know today, God hears your prayers, your cries, your celebrations today. Let me read, God remembered his promises to them in Egypt. God remembers his promises to you and I today. And then we read that God saw what was going on in their lives. God sees what's going on in your life today. And then lastly, God took notice, which is accompanied by this idea that he will then take action And his timing, his perfect timing, not our preferred timing, but God took notice of what was happening in Egypt to his people, and he takes notice of what is going on in your life today. God always has, 
heard, seen, remembered, and taken notice. And he always will. God is love. And in 1 John, that's what we read. God is love. For all of time, God has actually been a relationship of love between Father, Son, and Spirit. And sometimes that's hard for us to grasp this whole Trinity thing because we're not God, but it doesn't make it any less true. God is a relationship of love, and he always has been giving love and receiving it. We, on the other hand, are not so natural at giving and receiving love. Though God implanted that within us, who we're best at loving is ourselves. Life starts that way, right? Birth is given, a baby is born, and the first thing that happens, which is great news, is a cry. To be fed, it's this first breath of oxygen. But from the very first moment every single one of us are born, the first thing we think about is us. That's not how God functions. God is giving and gracious and generous and loving. And we move from this first infant moment of breath and a cry to receive what we need, slowly we grow up and our perspective changes and we begin to be able to love others. Last week, we we talked in Genesis about what Abraham promised to God. He promised to make Abraham into a big, huge family that'd be a, a great blessing to all the nations, that through Abraham's family, the very good that God described and declared was very good in Genesis would be extended into all of the earth. As Abraham's family went everywhere, the very good would go everywhere too. God also promised that he would bless Abraham, that he would be a blessing to those who blessed Abraham and a curse to those who cursed Abraham. And eventually, Abraham's family is in need during a famine, and so they find themselves in Egypt. And Egypt blesses Abraham's family, and God blesses them. And then everything shifts here in Exodus when a new king comes into power, and he begins to curse God's people out of insecurity. He's fearful that they will become more powerful than he is. And so he seeks to oppress them, but the more he oppresses them, the more they multiply. Then he takes things a step further and kind of just goes for genocide, and he decides to try to kill all of the two-year-old baby boys in the land to get rid of the next generation of warriors and leaders. And that, too, backfires because the eventual leader, Moses, who we'll spend a ton of time reading about, he's placed in the Nile where he was supposed to be, but he does not drown. He floats along, and Pharaoh's own daughter hears the cry of a baby floating in this ark-like basket. And when she hears this cry, she listens to love. There's a spark in her heart. There's this stirring in this movement. And she can either ignore it or choose to listen to love. And in this moment, though this baby is not her people, she listens to love. She intercedes in a moment of injustice. And next thing you know, Moses' mom is getting paid to nurse him. And then as, as Moses grows up, he's trained by Pharaoh in Pharaoh's household to become a great leader, the eventual leader that will overthrow Pharaoh and bring about justice for God's people. That's where we pick up here in chapter 2, where God is seeing, hearing, remembering, and taking notice. Let's turn now to verse 11. Years later... By this, it's specifically 40 years later, not a short amount of time. Moses has spent 40 years here in Egypt, and it says this, after Moses had grown up for 40 years, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. 
We can just glance over this sentence, but there's a lot happening. One, 40 years has happened. Two, what we're supposed to kind of glean from this is that this is new for Moses. For 40 years, his people have been abused and oppressed and murdered and enslaved, but he has not noticed it. At least we don't read about it until 40 years later here in verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. It's been happening, but he had not observed it yet. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. This has been happening, again, for 40-something years, but he's seeing things differently. It says Moses grew up. Moses grew up. There's a difference between growing up and growing older. All of us in this room, one year at a time, grow older. Growing up, though, doesn't happen a year at a time. Some people never grow up. Some people grow up quickly. Growing up, in a worldly standpoint, has to to do with being self-sustaining. One of my kids asked me, when are you an adult? 18? They want a phone and all kinds of things. I'm like, well, legally... But really, it's when you can take care of yourself. That's, that's from a worldly perspective. From a godly perspective, though, I think we see two things about what growing up means and what Moses growing up actually meant and happened to take 40 years. One, it's a change in perspective. You observe things differently. You see people differently. And you take on new responsibility. Years later... After Moses had grown up, not grown older, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. Now, there's a lot of debate about whether Moses responded in the right or the wrong way. Calvin and Luther say it was correct. Augustine says it was incorrect to respond the way he did. But that's not the main point. The main point is that Moses... Like his mother, who listened to love to try to save his life. Like Pharaoh's daughter, who listened to love and adopted him. Moses, for the first time that it's actually recorded, listens to love. These things have been going on for 40 years, but he's just now seeing them differently. He's growing up. He's listening to love. Love is who God is. God is love. Love speaks. Here's what we can define listening to to love as. Listening to love is responding to the prompting in your heart, that stirring or that feeling to love from God, who is love, by seeking the best interest of another, even over your own interests. Moses' mom risked a lot to listen to love to save his life. Pharaoh's daughter risked a lot to say, here's the enemy of my father, but I'm going to listen to love and adopt him into his home. Moses now, 40 years later, is growing up. He's listening to love. There's a lot of risk in listening to love. Moses makes the the same mistake, though, that a lot of us make when we begin to listen to love. He thinks that it's going to be quickly effective, that there will be good results in a timely manner, and that people will be grateful for the things that he decides to do. And that's not how it goes. In fact, there's a a lot of different results. Here's kind of a list uh, I put together of things we can expect when we begin to listen to love. One, there will be mixed results. What we'll see here in chapter two, 
There's three different occurrences of Moses intervening in a moment of injustice. And in each of them, there's very mixed results how his intervening goes. Two, it will always cost you. If you're not encouraged yet, I don't know what will encourage you. (laughs) Three, it will reward you, but probably not how you expect. Four, you will... I'm going to just keep adding always. You will... Maybe that's not accurate. Likely be misunderstood and mistreated by many when you listen to love and intervene in the midst of an injustice. And lastly, most importantly, this one I can't add always, you will always be understood and cared for by God through the process. Moses didn't really understand all of these things at the beginning, but he would by the ends. We're going to look now at this set of three different occurrences and how Moses approaches these. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed newly their old forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? He thought things would go well at this point, that his people would see him as a gift, a leader, a Messiah of sorts. And that is not at all what happens. The man responds, who made you a leader and judge over us? Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. I love how Hebrews 11, 23 through 26 describes this in the New Testament. So looking back, there's this perspective offered. The author of Hebrews and what's often called the Hall of Faith describes this moment. He says this, by faith... Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the short-lived pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach because of the Messiah to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since his attention was on the reward. Here's what's happening. Moses is seeing things differently. Up until 40, he had not grown up. He lived the luxurious Egyptian life. I don't know what that looked like exactly, but I imagine it had beautiful sunsets in an Egyptian palace looking over the desert. Sun rises, and he wakes up and drinks whatever luxurious... Egyptian coffee they had in the day, and when he was hungry, servants fed him. Whatever he wanted to drink, they made. Whatever he wanted to do, he did. He looked out and saw and grabbed what he wanted. Really, the only thing he needed more of or had the opportunity for was to get more power and pleasures, and he probably pursued that for about 40 years. The only thing to worry about was what power or prestige or position he might lose. Not a lot of worries for this guy. Not a lot to see. I I picture Moses looking out over Egypt from some high place the palace was on, walking around. There's all of this slave slave labor and abuse and oppression. He doesn't even see it or hear it. He's consumed. There's a curtain blocking anything else from mattering in his life because he has what he needs until 40. And he starts to listen to love hear things, and see things differently. And he chooses to leave that life 
to jump into the pain and complexity of others' lives. Mixed results. Moses probably expected some gratitude in these two events, right? He saved one man's life. Then he tried to intervene with his own people. Did he receive any thanks at all? No. In fact, everybody hated him. It cost him greatly, not only his home, but his family. It nearly killed him or cost him his life. And then he had to go out into the middle of the desert not knowing anybody out there. Certainly not the good he had hoped to achieve or lead into and bring about. Continue uh, to read now in verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Okay, that's one sentence. That probably took a long time. Like, we need to feel this out a little bit. It's a hot desert day. There's seven women, which means there was a pretty decently sized flock here. They had to draw the water out of a well, carry it into a trough so that their animals could then drink. Not before they draw the water and put it in the troughs, but after... These shepherds, these men come along and abuse them and force them away. These men watch, the real scumbags. They watch as the women do all the work. Then they send them away so that their own flocks can be watered. And at that moment, it happens to Moses again. I imagine if I'm Moses, I'm sitting there being like, you got to be kidding me. There's another injustice, another moment, and love starts to spark something in his heart. And he's going, no way, no chance. I've tried this before. That didn't work out. Why would I intervene again? No one appreciated it last time. It certainly didn't do them good or me good. Why would I do it now? But he almost can't help himself. I love that as we begin to follow Jesus. There's these moments where we might want to do something different, but you almost can't help yourself. That's the power of the Spirit speaking, sparking. And Moses, once again, though it hasn't gone well before, though he didn't get the results that he wanted previously, he listens to love. He fights on their behalf. He takes new risks, and there's better results this time. Then some shepherds arrived and drove them away, but Moses came to the rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Raoul, he asked, why have you come back so quickly today? They answered, an Egyptian, keep that in mind from an identity perspective, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Here's a man who has known great power. He doesn't just save them and provide. He then serves. This is a really key theme for us. This is the example Jesus gives. And when we listen to love, what we're called to step into, he serves. So where is he? The father asked his daughters. Why then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man and gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom. For he said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. Different result this time. It went well. He received thanks. There was gratitude. Not only that, he was given a wife. And more importantly, more broadly, he's given a family. He had lost everything. Now he's given an identity, a place, as God continues to form and shape him into the man that he would become. Back to verse 23 where we started. After a long time, to be specific, another 40 years. Moses is now 80 years old. I just want to like pause and stop and reflect on that. I got a long way to go until 80. Moses didn't do much, especially much good, until 80. 
We talk often about God's timing. We have a lot of requests and desires and fears and worries. And God hears those and he sees and he will be faithful to his promises and he takes notice and will take action. But it is in his timing, not ours. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help ascended to God because of difficult labor. So God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites and he took notice. This word groaning paints the picture of a person groaning when they break their bones. In Ezekiel, there's this prophecy about broken bones, and that's the same word here. It's this description of a person whose body is breaking, whose bones have been snapped in half, and they're groaning. This is the picture that's happening here. When I was in high school, I had an experience like that because I was young and dumb, and I was snowboarding, and... I did something that wasn't real smart, and I fell, and a couple bones snapped, and it wasn't great. So my dad was there, and he came up next to me as I got up, and he made sure I was okay, and then he called my mom. And I had to call my mom this week to go, hey, how did this conversation actually go? Because I've heard stories. And she said, it went like this. My dad calls my mom, and he said, hey, um, Landon might have fallen as I'm laying there with two broken bones in my arm. And then he said, um, I don't think it's too bad, but I might take him to the ER just in case. (laughs) Oh, that's a gentle way to put it. So we ride down the mountain, see my mom. My dad was wise because she didn't freak out. We then did have to go to the ER. And my mom told me, I don't really have a recollection of this because they put me under, but there was a, a little thin curtain and they took me behind the curtain with two or three nurses and a doctor. And I don't remember this because I wasn't conscious, but apparently she couldn't see, but what she heard was the doctor setting my arm with his knee and the nurses holding me down because while I wasn't aware, I apparently didn't like the whole knee arm thing. And so I was fighting with the nurses and doctors and groaning with my broken bones. And she had to sit there listening to it with this thin, terrible curtain. It sounds awful as a parent. A year later, I remember my friend Colin was snowboarding and he fell and he broke his bone. And I could still hear the groaning he did with that broken bone, specifically as he had his wrist guard on and it was swelling and he had to decide whether to take it off then, which you're not supposed to do, or wait and have them cut it off later. And there's the sound. And I'd been on both sides of the groaning, my own and others with broken bones on snow and Telluride. The thing is, in our lives, we will all, hopefully not with broken bones, although that happens, But in other ways, it could be spiritual, emotional, all kinds of trauma, things we want that are good and made for us that we don't have, tragedy. We will all experience being on both sides of groaning. Groaning ourselves inwardly, maybe not audibly, but inwardly, and hearing the groaning of others. What we can see, though, in this passage in Exodus is that as we walk, and drive and journey through life in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in the places of our hobbies, at our grocery stores and banks, there's probably people groaning all around us. Not out loud, but inwardly. There's probably people in here to your left or right or in front of you or behind you that are groaning inwardly. And there's a really good chance that most often we don't hear it. It's a really good chance that oftentimes we're like Moses in his first 40 years. 
and we've built a curtain. And it's actually not that thin. It's pretty thick. And the curtain's made up of our own opportunities and pursuits, things that we want. We're so busy pursuing them, we don't hear what's going on in other people's lives. The curtain's partially built out of worries and anxieties. There's things we have that we don't want to lose. There's things we have that we need to protect. And so we're so busy trying not to lose and trying to protect that we don't have ears to hear what's going on in other people's lives. We all most likely live fairly busy, filled lives with lots of stuff and responsibility. And those things form this really thick curtain so that either we just happen to not hear what's going on in others' lives or we're choosing not to, and we're creating a barrier so we don't have to deal with it. Because God forbid if we did hear, we probably would start listening to love and intervening in injustice, and it would have mixed results, and it would cost us. And we'd be rewarded, but not the way we probably want or expect. And we'd be very misunderstood and mistreated. Yet, yet through all of that, we would know God differently because he would always be faithful to us in those moments. And while in the moment we might go, God, you're crazy. (laughs) I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this again. In the end, we would be thankful because we would know him in ways we couldn't otherwise. Years later, after Moses had grown up, I wonder if this was written about us, how long years later would be? Is it 40 or is it 80? And have we grown up? As we sit in these chairs week after week, we do all grow older one year at a time. But are we growing up? Is our perspective changing? Are we seeing people the way Jesus calls us to see people? Or are we distracted by our own curtains? Are we hearing the groaning that is, as a matter of fact, going on in many people's lives around you? Or are we so busy we don't have time to hear? or we don't want to. I love that Hebrews says, Moses chose to hear. He listened to love. My hope is that we can become a people that grow up, not just grow older, that grow up together in the way of Jesus. That takes practice. This past year, I watched a show where everyone in the show, except for a handful of people, is blind. So there's hardly any seeing going on in this TV series. Everything they do is based on what they hear and feel. They read with beads. They, they hear in conversations. All of their defense systems are based on audible triggers. And it's really fascinating. Like, as you actually watch this show, it's really dark. Like, you can't see that much too often. So you actually learn to pay attention with your ears even more than your eyes. And after a few episodes, it was kind of funny. I found myself having practiced listening way differently and better. And you start to hear things that you never hear before. Uh, Differences in the sound of the refrigerator, kids coming from farther away, the door, all kinds of things. It's actually kind of shocking how much we can gain with listening when we actually are intentional with it. And as I practiced that, it got easier. It's the same when it comes to listening to love. At first, like Moses, we can intentionally or unintentionally be blind, be deaf to the groaning going on around us. But as we grow up and the Spirit speaks and we start to listen to love, we have a choice to make. To choose to step into the complexity where we, like Moses, don't have the answers, where we, like Moses, will get mixed results, but yet... 
where we, like Moses, have Yahweh God with us. And we can know he is faithful and will do the work. He just asks us to take the steps. I hope that we can be a people that step in and listen to love. I'm going to close by reading uh, from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We read this. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. I love that. His love is perfected in us. Not we perfect his love in us, but his love is perfected in us. In his timing, not ours, but he will make his love perfect in us because he is love. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given assurance to us from his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother, he has seen, cannot love the God he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. God observes what is going on in your life, in my life, in our lives, in the world. And when he observes it, he sees, he hears, he remembers, he takes notice and takes action. Maybe you're just in a spot this morning where you need to know you are loved, you are known by the almighty God of the universe. You are seen and heard. And we're called to listen to love as you walk through the everyday stuff of life. Again, may we be a people that grow up together into the way of Jesus and begin to listen to love. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the gift of yourself, that you are love and you've given love to us. God, may you free us from ourselves to be filled with your love, to extend and multiply your love to those around us. We look to you now. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. With that, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. Thanks so much for joining us. If this is your first time, welcome. Glad you're able to tune in. Uh, if you want to jump over to restorationaz.org to learn a little bit more about who we are. And um, yeah, we say this every time, but we mean it. Remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. <laughs>